0: Hey, church. Good morning. We are glad that you are with us. If this is your first time or if you are uh, relatively new to our online gatherings, we want to say hello. I want to I let you know that you are welcomed here and that we are glad. In fact, if you would, just, hey, put your hand up, say hello, uh, do a brave thing this morning and introduce yourself in the chat. If you have not yet connected with us as a church, uh, the information is up next to me on the screen right now. You can connect with us on social media, at FaithonHill. You can connect with us through our website, faithonhill.com. You can send an email. Adam at faithonhill.com is my email. We can send a Facebook message to the church through our Facebook page. I want to talk about a little bit what's been going on since March. I do not believe for one moment that church has been canceled. I don't believe that we have stopped being faithful to what God has called us to do. But we have been in an unusual, unprecedented season. While we know that we are still the church together, even though we have been separated, we know that that's only been for a time. In the long term, though, it is life-taking, not life-giving, to be apart. It is good for us to be connected to each other. If you go on your Bible app or an online Bible, however you you could use a search bar, and if you search the one another verses in the Bible, love one another, serve one another, submit to one another, how can we fulfill these commands that God has given us His servants to do if we aren't together with one another? So we are excited to be back together starting July 5th for church in the field. All summer, we will meet in the big field that's right next to the church that we own, and we'll bring your lawn chairs, bring your pop-up canopies. The church now has a bunch of pop-up canopies ready to go. Uh, Bring your beach blanket, however you want to meet. We are going to have Um, little prepackaged things for our kids, so there'll be some coloring sheets and some activities for them. Uh, Won't have kids church or nursery during the summer, but we are excited to get back together because there is something that has been missing from our spiritual life and our spiritual growth and our spiritual health, and that is the gathering together of the church. I don't believe that we've been canceled. I don't believe that we've been disobedient because we have Stayed safer at home, but now as things begin to safely open up, we are excited and ready to gather together again starting July 5th. Now, before that, starting June 28th, we are going to have a sign up only communion service. That way, we can keep it under 25 people, we can make sure that we have all of the proper social distancing. So if you would like to be part of a short communion service, it's not a church service. I won't be teaching a normal Bible study. Um, it won't be a normal service, but we will have a short, sign-up only communion service. I've posted a link for the sign-ups in the chat. If you'd like to be a part of that, let us know. If there is overwhelming demand, then we will increase the number of services. So if if we get enough people for one we'll do one service but if we have enough demand to warrant doing another service we will that's how we'll do it so uh if you want to sign up you can sign up for that and then we'll have more information once we kind of have an idea of how many people would like to participate if you don't feel ready to gather together yet if you don't feel safe if you don't feel that your health condition uh, is a good fit for public gathering we understand there is no pressure There is no worry. We will continue to post online content so that you don't feel left out or forgotten. We have made it a huge goal for us as a church that, that no one gets left behind and that we make sure that our most vulnerable people are taken care of and that we make sure that there is online content for everyone and for those who can't access it Uh, We've done things like burn sermons and services onto DVDs and hand-delivered them. Uh, So, you know, whatever we can do to make sure that people aren't forgotten. And I want you to know that if you aren't ready to gather publicly, or if it's not safe yet for you to gather publicly, you will not be forgotten. We will continue to put online content for you. Speaking of online content, every Wednesday night at 7 p.m., we have our Zoom small group. And we would love for you to join us. If you haven't yet joined us, we would love for this Wednesday to be the first time. I've posted the link in the chat, and we would love to have you there. We pray for one another. We check in on one another. uh, We talk about what's going on in the world. It is a great interactive gathering. And then every Thursday, we release new episodes of our 20-minute Bible study podcast. The idea of this podcast is for us to get through large chunks of the Bible so that we can increase the level of Bible knowledge, of Bible understanding, and of Bible living in our church family. We're so thankful that you've joined us for our service this Sunday. Why don't you turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark as we continue our study through God's Word. Good morning, Faith on Hill. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Maybe you have heard that Jesus wants to set us free. But did you know that He just doesn't, doesn't want to just set us free? He doesn't want to just break us out of prison, the bondage of sin and death, but he also wants to build us up he wants to lift us out of the the mire the muck the the filth that we have been trapped in this last week we went berry picking and it was not a dry day we got our shoes and boots got very muddy but as i was picking raspberries I saw that some of the vines had come off of the trellises and had gotten into the mud and so it worked for me because that meant they had been ignored by people that had picked there before me and so I got some good berries that way but if you are a farmer if you are tending the vines you will come and lift up the vines, whether they're raspberries or grapes or or whatever fruit, out of the mud because the mud is where they will rot and decay and be trampled on. And you take them back and place them back on the trellises so that they can grow and become the fruit that they were meant to be. God wants to do the same thing. He wants to build spiritual muscle in our lives. He doesn't want to just break us out of prison. He wants to build us up so that we can live as God has designed us to live. We weren't meant to live in defeat. Jesus has great plans for us. Jesus wants to bring us to victory in this life. Let's read together. Chapter 9 of Mark's Gospel, starting in verse 14, says when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Jesus and Peter and James and John had been up on this mountaintop. And it was there, as we studied last week, that Peter and James and John saw Jesus transfigured. The veil was pulled back. They got to peek behind the curtain, and they saw Jesus in His divine glory. And now they are coming back down after this incredible spiritual experience and real life is still there. What do they find? They find the nine other disciples, plus anyone else who is following Jesus, arguing with the teachers of the law, the religious leaders. And they're not alone. There's a crowd of people who are watching this happen. Kind of feels like social media these days, doesn't it? where we are inundated with arguments and opinion. You log on to Facebook, and what do you see? You see one person is posting this, and watch this video where they eviscerate my political opponents, and then somebody else posts the rebuttal video. This is why you shouldn't listen to that person, and they're stinky. It's just arguments and arguments and bickering. And the worst part is sometimes it's people who claim to be people of God arguing with each other while the world watches. And I'm not trying to be judgmental because I know I've been guilty of it myself. But Jesus comes down with Peter, James, and John and they've had this experience of God's power and now there's just people arguing. The disciples had been given A mission from Jesus. If you remember, Jesus sent out his disciples with a mission. If you're filling in your notes, that mission is to proclaim the kingdom of God. Their mission was to tell people, prepare yourself. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what does Jesus find them doing? Arguing our mission as the church, as the followers of Jesus Christ, as his disciples, our mission is to be a witness of Jesus Christ and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're to tell people everything we know about Jesus and who he is and what he's done in our lives, and we're to help those who want to follow Jesus, hey, this is how you do it. And yet so often we find people, Christians, just Arguing, arguing with non-Christians, arguing with Christians who have a different point of view than they do, arguing with themselves, arguing with whoever. The disciples had a mission to proclaim the kingdom, and instead they're just arguing with the religious leaders. How do you move forward from all of this? How do we find a way past the current strife? I don't think it's through arguing. I'm preaching to myself here. I don't think it's through arguing. But if we can return, refocus, recenter ourselves on our mission to proclaim Christ crucified and risen from the dead, if we can return and refocus to our mission of making disciples of Jesus, I believe that we can break free, and move forward. Jesus wants to break us out. We're stuck in our old traditions. We're stuck in our selfish ways. Even if we've been freed from our sin, perhaps that that old sin is creeping in as we refuse to humble ourselves and listen and learn. And Jesus wants to move us past that and out of that and forward on his mission. Verse 16, Jesus gets to them and he says, what are you arguing with them about? He asked. In verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe help my unbelief help me overcome my unbelief when jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene he rebuked the impure spirit you deaf and mute spirit he said i command you come out of him and never enter again the spirit shrieked convulsed him violently and came out The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is God's word. What does Jesus want? We're here. We're stuck. We're arguing. There's a problem. This boy needs to be delivered. And nobody seems to have an answer. How do we move forward? Can I suggest that maybe part of the way of moving forward is by asking, what is it that God would ask of us in this moment? What does Jesus want? He comes and he asks a question. What are you arguing with them about? Now, he asks, and neither the disciples nor the teachers of the law respond to him. I would hate to think that God is asking me a question and I don't respond. That God is asking our church a question and we don't respond. God's asking this question, what's going on? Why are you arguing? And neither of them respond. It's actually the boy's desperate father who is the one to respond. Now verse 19, Jesus hears everything that's gone on. He says, I brought you my son, My son has this spirit. Uh, The the spirit is causing all kinds of, of trauma and problems, and your disciples couldn't heal him. And Jesus says something that might seem kind of harsh to us. You faithless generation. I'm not a Greek scholar, but near as I understand, a more literal translation of verse 19 might be, oh... Faithless generation. And I believe that Jesus was speaking on multiple levels. Here are the religious leaders, and they have nothing because they haven't bowed their knee to Jesus. And here are his disciples who have bowed their knee. They are believers. They've proclaimed that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They aren't walking in his power. God can be frustrated at us, by the way. Did you know that? That God can be really annoyed at us. And it's not sinful in any way. We only know annoyance through our human perspective. But it's not wrong to be annoyed or frustrated. And if you feel annoyed or frustrated, it's not inherently sinful. It's what we do with it or the motives behind it that's the issue. But Jesus is, is annoyed at these guys. I've, I've empowered you. I've given you authority. I've given you a mission to proclaim, and yet I just find you arguing. I could see why he'd be annoyed. But he doesn't immediately go and heal The boy. He has a conversation with the boy's father. He starts asking him questions. He starts getting to root issues. And before he delivers the boy, he brings the boy's father to faith. Before he delivers the boy, he brings the boy's father to faith. It's Father's Day. And as you know, generally speaking, I do not preach specific Father's Day or Mother's Day messages. I believe that the best thing that I can do for fathers and mothers is to teach the Bible, to equip you for the work that God has called you to do, and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ so that you may believe and that your sons and daughters may believe. But I'll tell you, I was a youth pastor for a very long time, And even though I'm not a youth pastor anymore, I try to keep a pulse of what's going on in our church's youth ministry and our youth in general. Over the years, I have seen many, many parents who want to get their kid some religion. And so they bring them to church so they can go to kids' church, or they make sure that they're at youth group, whether they want to be or not. But then when Sunday morning comes around, the parents can't get themselves to church. Oh, we're just so busy Life's really hard. There's a lot going on. I want to point out, I want to point out that Jesus brought the Father to faith before He delivered the Son. And I'm not saying this is some formula, but I'm saying that for those who say, oh, I want to get my kid some religion or I want to get my kid some spirituality or I want to get my, my grandkids some good morals, so I'll bring him to church, understand that Jesus wants your life and your heart. He wants to be the Lord of your world. He doesn't want just your kids or your grandkids. He wants you. And you know who else wants that? Your spouse does. And whether they know it or not, your kids do. There is a statistic, and as as far as I know, it is still true, often repeated, But in situations where you have a family where neither the mom or the dad have any spiritual inclination, and those are the kind of people who say, I wanna get my kids to church, but then they have nothing going on in their own spiritual lives. Most of the time, by the time the kid is out of high school, they will have no spirituality to speak of. And then it's about 30% of the time that if the mom has a faith, if the mom is the spiritual leader in the home, then the rest of the family will follow. But it's over like 80% of the time. If a man is the spiritual leader in his home, then the family will follow. Now, I'm not saying this because I don't believe that men and women are equal. Far from it. I believe that my wife is one of the godliest people I've ever met. And I I want to be more like her as she's more like Jesus. But I know that I am responsible to God as a man. And I don't believe that that speaks anything at all to my value or my worth compared to my wife or compared men to women. But I believe that God has called men to lead. And most of the time, men don't want to. Do you want to have a great women's ministry in a church? Have an even better men's ministry. Do you want to have a great youth ministry in in the church? Have even stronger men in the church. Before Jesus delivered the boy, he brought the father to faith. Our kids' ministry, our youth, everything that we do to reach and disciple is only, I believe this firmly, in a lot of ways, is only as good as what we as the men in the church and the men in our homes are doing to equip ourselves and build spiritual muscle. We are in a season. We were already there we're in a change season in our country. And I don't mean what's just been going on in the last couple of weeks, although that's part of it, I think. But we are in a generational handoff. The baby boomers generationally are handing off to this next generation. The millennials and whatever we're calling the people after the millennials. But if you've been used to another generation leading it's easy to kind of say, well, they're the leaders. Young men, God's calling us to be leaders. And I know most of the young people in our church don't think I'm young, but for our purposes, let's just say I'm young, and God's calling us to be leaders. Young people, God's calling us to be leaders. God wants to bring the Father to faith before he delivers the Son. Jesus has broken us out of the bondage, the prison of spiritual death. But he wants to bring us to a place of victory. He wants to build our spiritual muscles. And that takes work. One of the big fears that I've had over the last several months, as we have been locked down, is are we developing life-giving habits or are we developing life-taking habits? You can choose you can choose to make growing healthy a priority or you can just kind of say whatever happens and the path of least resistance is usually not the path of health. I want to be healthy physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually so that I have something to give to my wife, to my sons, to my church, to my community. And it's time for us to move out of the arguments. It's time for us to say, what does Jesus want? And the first thing I see here is that Jesus wants to get a hold of this Father. And the Father is not a perfect man. He's He's a guy who has an admitted lack of faith, but he says, Jesus, help me overcome. I don't know what it is that you need in your life for healthy spiritual growth. But Jesus wants to and will and can give us the power to be overcomers to be uncommon women and uncommon men in a generation to say we will stand in God's power. Does that mean we're perfect all the time? Does that mean we never have to learn something? Does that mean that we don't have to do a tune-up spiritually or physically or whatever? Of course not. Of course not. But we can stand in the power of Jesus, the freedom of Jesus, And he brings the father to a place of faith. But I do believe that he wants to work in the next generation. And he brings the boy. Now, often people will say, is this really a a spiritual thing? Or did the boy just have some sort of epilepsy that modern medical science understands? I have no trouble believing that there were instances in Jesus' ministry where he healed somebody who just had an epilepsy or a, a schizophrenia or something, and he didn't bother explaining to people what was going on. In this particular case, it seems like there was a direct response when, when the, spo- the spirit that was in the boy saw Jesus. So I believe there was a spiritual battle happening. I believe there was a spiritual battle happening. And when the, the, the demon was driven out, Jesus said, and do not return. So there was a barrier put on that boy's life. Jesus, in another part of the Gospels, spoke of somebody who had been delivered of bondage and spiritual oppression, and and things got better, but they never gave their life to God. And in the end, the demon returned and brought friends, and it was ten times worse than it was before. You can be freed. Maybe maybe your oppression was, was a substance abuse. Maybe your oppression was an addiction. Maybe your oppression was something that was uh, causing you to to always be in in debt or in bondage or even imprisoned. Maybe you you had something that needed to be worked through and you went to counseling and that got worked through. And you say, I'm better now. But if the inside has not been changed, then we might be better for a season. But in the long run, if, if the spiritual person has not been dealt with, watch out. Now, the reason that Jesus delivered the boy so quickly, it says that he saw the crowd coming. It was not yet his time to reveal himself as Messiah. So he sees this large crowd coming. He just says, all right, let's get this done quickly because it's not my time yet. Afterwards, we see, actually, sorry, because I'm looking at this and I know there's a slot here, If you're filling in your notes, verse 21, Jesus doesn't just want relationship. He doesn't just want our kids, but He wants relationship with you. So if you're filling in your notes, you can fill in that Jesus wants relationship, and you can put your name in. Jesus wants relationship with Adam. Jesus wants relationship with Heather. Jesus wants relationship with Joe. Jesus wants relationship with Jeff. Jesus wants relationship with Colton and Jack. Sorry, they're my kids. I just decided to to name check them. They're probably going to be super embarrassed right now. But it's interesting, in verse 28, Jesus and his disciples, they go into this house. They're alone, and the disciples come to him with questions. I think that Jesus is all for that. That Jesus is all for us coming to him with questions. Lord, this is this thing. It's been bothering me. I don't understand. Can you help me? And they asked, why couldn't we heal the boy? Verse 28, that explains that. i got to turn the page. Verse 28, when Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? They had tried. I actually think that's what the argument was about. They had tried to help this boy and his father and it hadn't worked. And the teachers of the law, the critics of Jesus, there's always somebody. They're just waiting to criticize. And watch out for those kind of agendas. And they exist on all sides. Something happens and immediately they pounce with their criticism, or with their uh, pontificating, because they, it, it's not about the situation. They were, they've already made up their mind. They're already ready to criticize. They're just waiting for the excuse to pounce. But I believe what happened was they tried to help this boy. They couldn't, and the critics came. The disciples tried and failed. But I think this is a moment of victory. Right here, asking Jesus this question is a moment of victory for them. And here's why. It's a victorious moment because they were willing to humble themselves before God and say, what didn't we do right? In addition to being the pastor here, this last year, I was asked to take a leadership role in our family of churches and to help with church health for Washington and Oregon. We, I heard of a church that for 20 years has done the same event and they put all kinds of effort and resources and money and time and everything into it. And they've never seen anything come of it. And every time someone has said, should we reevaluate whether this is good or not? They've just been shouted down. This is what we've always done. This is how we do it. And we're going to keep doing it. I believe that's a failure. I believe that the disciples' success, their victory in this moment is that they were willing to humble themselves and say, where am I not getting this right? And individually, as Christians, and collectively as a church, I believe that we have victory when we have the humility to ask questions. The the humility to say, this is what's going on, this is what we've been doing, is this working? The ability to have the honesty with ourselves before God to say, we've got to figure this out. I believe that's a victory. And Jesus responds, this kind can only come out through prayer. I believe, if you're filling in your notes, I believe this might be the most important thing I can say. If we are going to stand firm in this moment, in this season, we need strength and we need stamina. If we're going to stand firm in this moment and in this season, we need strength and we need stamina. Jesus said this kind can only come out that there is apparently a type of spiritual force-opposition enemy that can only come out through prayer and fasting. What does he mean by that? It could be that what Jesus is saying is that the disciples had not yet built up the spiritual muscle, the strength to stand firm. When you read through the Gospels, Jesus was always going off to a place to pray. And it could be that what Jesus is saying is that we need to build up the spiritual strength so that when the moment comes, we can stand firm. I believe firmly that in the last season, we as a country and as a culture, have been reaping what we have sown. This is nothing new. We've sown division. We've we've sown mistrust. We have sown lack of communication. We have sown all sorts of things that have kind of come to bear in the last six months. If we aren't people of spiritual health, we won't be able to stand. We won't have the strength to be people devoted to the Word of God, be people devoted to loving one another and loving our neighbor as ourselves, to be people devoted to prayer. It's possible that they hadn't prayed. And when the moment came, they weren't ready because they didn't have the strength. It's also possible that they didn't have the stamina, that they had tried to help this family, to help this boy, And when it didn't happen right away, the critics pounced, and instead of having the stamina to remain faithful and continue doing what they were called to do, that they had gotten sidetracked into this argument. That's also possible. Whether it's an issue of they hadn't prayed enough beforehand or they weren't willing to go the distance in prayer during the crisis, either way, the challenge to us is to step up and step forward. Let's break beyond and past the distractions, the arguments, and let's build the spiritual muscle that we need to stand firm. And in a lot of ways, we're just like that boy's father. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I pray, help me to pray more. Lord, I read your your word. Help me to understand it better. Help me to live it. Lord, I'm part of a church. Help it to be my family, my community. Not just something I take from, but something that I give to. Because we need the strength and the stamina to stand firm in these days. And there are spiritual forces at work. And we need to be people of prayer. If you're disturbed about what's going on around our country right now, and you should be, we need to be people of prayer. And we respond to what God has been speaking. And one of the main ways that we respond every Sunday is through prayer. Maybe you need to just pray as the music goes in a minute here that you don't sing a word, you just pray. Maybe you ask the people with you, this is what's burdening my heart. This is what's grieving me. This is what I I need. Can you pray with me? Maybe you reach out in the chat and say, can someone just pray for me? To have the bravery and the boldness to be open and honest and say, I need prayer. We respond in prayer. Jesus said that there was a a spiritual enemy that could only be dealt with through prayer. And we respond in worship. Worship. We have seen answers to prayer. We've we've been rejoicing on Wednesday nights at a couple of different ways that God has answered prayer in our church. So we worship, and I invite you to lift your voices in response, and we give. It's easy to sing a song. It's easy to pray a prayer, but to put some skin in the game and to say, God, I worship you because everything I have is from you. And we respond. I believe the Bible tells believers to be generous with what God has given and we respond in, in the worship of giving our tithes and offerings. But I encourage everyone everywhere, whether you go to this church or another church or no church, to find a way to be generous because we can't take it with us. What God has given us is not ours. We need to be generous. So let's respond to God this morning. Let's respond bravely and boldly. Let's be brave and bold in our singing. Let's be brave and bold in our giving. And let's be brave and bold in our prayers. Jesus wants to give us spiritual muscle. And the only way we get it is by doing some heavy lifting. So let's do some heavy lifting before God. Hey, Pastor Adam here once again. I just want to say thank you for being with us this morning. If you still need someone to pray with you or to pray for you, You can send me an email, adam at faithonhill.com. You can shoot me a text or a Facebook message. We'd love to pray with you. If you have questions about anything that was said or talked about, same thing, send me a message. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to know how to serve you. If you know of a need in our community, let us know. We'd love to be able to help if we can. God bless you, and thank you for joining us here. We'll see you next Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. for a new online service from Faith on Hill.